Another episode of the Class Clown Podcast, a kick-ass podcast where we talk about kick-ass things. <laughs> My name is Chino Liao, bringing you another fresh new episode. And the reason I use the word kick-ass a lot is because we have a very kick-ass guest. He is a man who has played a very integral part in my life as a speaker. Um, See, not too long ago, if you guys didn't know, I was heard on the radio. I didn't uh, wait for that to rhyme, but a, a rapper or a poet or anything. But I was on a radio and I had my 15 minutes of radio fame. And it's all thanks to this man, Mr. Pat Amblang. Pat used to be a DJ for Magic 89.9, which is where I get this accent from. <laughs> this very cool, straight English accent from today's best music but also it's where I learned the many intricacies of radio and in that short time that I got to work with Pat I also got to know him as a man who was very passionate about the world of mixed martial arts and Brazilian jiu-jitsu more specifically and it's such an insightful look into how he goes about his everyday life you know, so I was very glad that first of all he said yes to this interview and then I got to know him a lot better in the 30 minutes that we talked. So without further ado, let's know about all things BJJ with Mr. Pat Tablap. There's somebody who played an instrumental role in me being able to talk in front of this mic, but also the first guy I think of whenever I wanted to talk um, MMA and, and jiu-jitsu with. So please welcome on the Class Clown podcast, the one and only Pat Hamlang. Hi, Pat. Yeah, what's up? <laughs> I was expecting like an applause, like <laughs> the not fake applause. We can have PNA add that in post. <laughs> Thank you, man. Thanks for dropping by hey, uh, my little podcast here to talk to me about anytime, about bro. Actually, this is like the first. I think this might be the first podcast I've been on. Really, you? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow, so thank okay. you, man. I appreciate yeah. it. No, thank you for saying yes then. Yeah, because, you know, I would have expected by now that you've been on a lot of podcasts, but mine being the first makes it all the more uh, special. Yeah. So thank you, man. Thanks. Yeah, so, you're welcome, brother. Basically, what this podcast is all about is explaining to people um, different things, things that they don't mm. really necessarily know about. Before we can go on to that, we got to explain who you are first. So can you tell me and tell our 
friends who are listening right now, how you got into uh, mixed martial arts or BJJ? Okay, so um, I started jujitsu back in 2006. Um, before that, though, it was just me and my brothers. We we would just grapple on carpet, on the bed. Like we bought like those puzzle mats that um, you know for kids that have right. like letters on them and stuff like that. By right. the way, that's my wife in the background. Yeah, I know. She's, I trying, to... <laughs> yeah. I she's trying to like evade the camera, but she's I was trying obviously... not to pay attention. Yeah, I was not paying attention to it, but you called it out. So basically, yeah, man, I've been, I, was, I was curious about it in high school. I would hear this word Gracie. I didn't know it was a last name. I thought it was the name of the martial art. And then they would point at certain people. They're like, oh, Gracian. And I was like, Okay, what does that mean? And then I, I saw it on Solar Sports. I saw Hoyce Gracie fight. I think it was Dan Severn. Um, UFC and then, the yeah, UFC, yeah, the early UFC, back yeah. when you could still wear a gi yeah. and uh, you could pull on people's hair and stuff like yeah, that. People right? wore sneakers to that, though. Right? I, I yeah, yeah, you can wear shoes, wrestling shoes. Right? Yeah, that's correct. And so I finally saw it, Hoyce Gracie, and this guy yeah. um, wrapped his legs around Dan Severn. And I was like, what is this? What type of fighting is this? Right? right. And then, so we tried it, me and my brother, we were on the bed, we were in my, my uh, parents' room. And I was right. like, yo, let's, let's try to simulate this. What is this closed guard? Like, I didn't know what that was at the time. Right. And so I did it. We were wrestling around a little bit. And usually my older brother would get the better of me in anything. Right. And so right. I was able to kind of topple him over. And I was like, wait a minute, there's something here. This is pretty cool. And then um, I just slowly got into it. Uh, in college, I would be in the computer shop or in the computer, right. um, what do you call this? The Labs, yeah. Yeah, computer lab. And then I would just research and just try to mm. simulate certain things with my brothers. And then eventually I tried out a class. Uh, back then it was called New Breed Academy okay. in uh, 2006. And what's funny is they had a free week of classes, right? And okay. so I was like, okay, this is it. I want to I wanna try it out. And when I went in there, nobody came. It was just me. And there was this guy there that looked Japanese, but he was white. Okay. And he was like, oh, let's wait for a couple of people. And nobody showed up. So he was like, oh, it's just you and me. And his name is Ken Bone. So he was a purple belt in jujitsu. He's a black belt in judo. And okay. he just kind of opened my, my mind into how, how to learn jujitsu. He was kind of like breaking it down into a science. And I never really looked at it that way. Right. And so I got hooked and I just kept coming there. And there was a time where I was the only student there, like wow, nobody okay. was showing up and uh, he would bring a gi for me, which is like the, the kimono that you wear. Yeah. Right. And I didn't have one at that time. I was a college student and I couldn't even, I didn't even have money to pay for the monthly, uh, yet, right. you know, let alone the, the gi. Right. So I was like, right. okay, he would bring it for me. He would wash it, bring it the next wow. time around. And then uh, I got so hooked that you, you uh, like my allowance, right? I, I would just save it so that I could pay for jujitsu. Like right. I would just bring food from home right. and I wouldn't even spend on anything. So I have money to go to jujitsu. I would take the right. Jeep, take the bus, whatever I could do to save. And then, yeah. And then I just kept going, man. And right. now, um, what is this? How many years is that now? 16 years later, still doing jujitsu. And I got my black belt this year. Nice, congrats. Um, yeah, yeah, thank you. And so, yeah, that's how I started. Yeah. Right, nice. Because I remember uh, those early days of, of UFC when it 
uh, went around in tapes, diba? People mm. printed it on CDs. They traded yes. tapes, diba? That's how I first heard of it, actually. Uh-huh. Some, some wrestling guy handed me a tape one day and said, this is where Kenton Shamrock came from. So you should check it uh, out. So okay. that's how I know of the early days of the UFC. But even then, that was still relatively new, diba? That was still such a relatively small market. So what were right. those? So lalo na ako, I'm just a viewer, I'm just a watcher. You're actually a practitioner, and you've mm-hmm. been telling me about how small your classes were. So what were yeah. those early days like when you started learning it? Now one on one, lang kayo ng mentor mo. It was pretty cool because it was kind of like it was like you're taking private sessions, right? Like all right. the attention's on you, and I was just lucky to be able to have an instructor that really invested time in me. Right. And even when students started coming in. Um, he was still mentoring me and watching over me mm. and, and yeah, it, and it helped a lot to have somebody like that, that, um, could guide you in a sport right. that you're really curious to learn. Right. And right. back then there weren't that many teams, uh, right. classes were generally small. Uh, the highest belt would probably be a purple belt. So for okay. those, um, you know, your listeners, uh, basically you start at white, then you go blue, purple, brown, then black. And back then. If you would see like a brown or black belt, you would be like, holy crap, like uh, this is this is badass, right? right? But yeah. back then it was just the highest I saw was purple belt. Okay. And then um, you know, so as compared to like other countries where they like Brazil and the US, Japan, uh, they had a bunch of black belts, right? So that's how it started, you know. And right. then you would have people, we would invite like instructors to come on over and they would do seminars and they would do the grading, like the promotions right. and stuff like that. And that's how it started. And now here in the Philippines, it's still small. Uh, there are a bunch of black belts as well, but you can still kind of name all of the black belts here in, in, in the Philippines. You know what I mean? Unlike mm-hmm. other countries where there are hundreds, you know, of right. black belts. So, right. yeah, we're growing, though. I think I think here in the Philippines, the culture of, you know, the fight culture, we embrace that type of stuff. Right. Right. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, the growth is 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 going, man. I mean, Southeast Asia, the Sea Games just ended. Uh, what was that a couple months ago? Yes. Um, I think Philippines was number one when it came to jujitsu and bringing home the most uh, number of medals. Nice. Right. Yeah. Nice, nice. So you talked about attending those one-on-one classes, going from there. Did that also influence you in wanting to teach? Did you teach as well? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so. With Ken Bone kind of teaching the way that he did and kind of opened my way, uh, opened my mind into like how to look at jujitsu, I started nerding out on it because as a person who has always been uh, like wanting to learn something, when something is given to you, it's like it just opens a whole new door and you're like, oh, there's more to it. And then the more you learn, the more you realize there's more to it and then you just keep going. And then you start feeling what it's like for other people such as yourself coming into the sport that has the same, you know, enthusiasm and the same amount of curiosity. And you're just like, dude, like I would like to help break this down for you because I know what it's like to be you. Mm. And then I just had a bunch of instructors like TJ Sulid, uh, Aldo Torres, all of these guys from New Breed and how they would teach and how they were able to break down techniques. I was like, man, if I can do that with everything that I try to learn, it like it'll be helpful. And then that's how I just started looking at everything as if it was with the jujitsu lens on, if you, right. if you get what I'm saying. And yeah. so same thing with, with radio where I met you, yeah. I was breaking down everything as if it was jujitsu. 
You know what I mean? Like breaking right. down the individual elements when combined make jujitsu the same thing I did with radio. Uh, and so really I learned how to learn through jujitsu. Like imagine all of my years in school, like the only way I really <laughs> learned how to learn was through jujitsu because I was just so enthusiastic and so curious about it. And then I had, I, I learned and I applied that to all the other things that I got myself into. Yeah. Cause it's interesting you say that and, and I can relate to it a lot because I had, um, a, an eighth Dan black belt in karate hmm. on this very pod as well. He was the dad of one of uh, our close friends in the comedy scene. And he explained nice. to me that martial arts that like you're describing is such a dedication. You know, it's a, you dedicate yeah. your life to it and you see things through that lens moving like forward. Right. So with you, mm-hmm. with you uh, having this approach now to how you run your day-to-day things, right? Does mm-hmm. it, has it changed your life drastically? Like, yeah. you, are you unable yeah. to look at things like a normal non-jujitsu person? <laughs> now? Yeah, it's with me forever, dude. It's like everything that I do is like through jujitsu. It's like um, with martial arts, I think in general, it you're conf- you you have to learn how to deal with your ego if you want to, mm-hmm. you know, progress in the martial art. There's gonna be a point where you're going to have to like confront your ego. Right. And that's a big thing. And, um, by, by being able to kind of confront your ego and, and be humble when it comes to learning new things, that's such a big thing because I think in, in life in general, it's important to always try to learn new stuff. Right. And Mm -hmm. if you come through jujitsu where it's such, it can be a very frustrating art to learn because there's so many things that can happen. And you're sparring every single class. And so you're getting your ass whooped. And if you're if you're kind of new to it and um, you get your ass whooped by somebody else, it's not a good feeling, right? <laughs> like in the right. beginning, you're yeah. just like, I can't believe this guy is kicking my ass, right? Yeah. And so with that, you know, you take those lessons with you and then you apply it to everything else. I mean, you'll never be the same after that, right? And I think that's yeah. what it is with jujitsu. It's that constant like dealing with resistance and learning how to be calm under that chaos. Uh, you take that with you in, in anything that you do, right? Right. Right. Yeah. So I want to roll, roll it back a bit uh, and start from where you started. Um, hmm. You said that you only learned about the class through a friend of a friend or something. And then hmm. you started only watching videos. So what was the first thing that shocked you? about learning jujitsu? Like, was there anything so surprising that you didn't expect it to happen? Hmm. Um, like the amount of science behind it, like right. how you apply leverage and mm. um, the angles, the little, little things make a difference. In the beginning, right. you just try to copy what you see, but you don't right. fully understand the feel how so it works mechanics involved yes 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 the mechanics involved and that's that's what kind of surprised me in the beginning because um i never looked at it that way you know you see an arm bar you just see a guy pulling on the arm and hyperextending the elbow yes. yeah. but you don't see the angle and how he's able to control that arm how is right. he able to overpower that limb and right. all of these things it's like I understood why they say in jujitsu, a smaller person can beat a larger opponent because 
you're understanding how your body works and how you're able to utilize leverage to be able mm-hmm. to overcome the strength of, of your opponent. And once you learn that, man, it's like you want to learn it in every little position that you encounter in jujitsu. It's like if you feel the efficiency and the effectiveness of one position, you're like, there's got to be this feeling in all the other positions. And then you're constantly just, I guess, studying, right, to reach that level. And it's a never ending uh, process because guys are always coming up with new ways to counter what you learn. So it's evolving faster. You can learn it. And it's just one of those things that if you love learning, like you'll be in it forever because it's just, there's no end. Right. Right. So it's interesting you say that because the first time I've ever seen an arm bar was in a a professional wrestling environment. Yeah. We tried doing it to ourselves, but nothing really happened because we didn't understand the mechanics of how an arm bar works. So his legs were just wrapped around my arm and I was just like, (laughs) and then you actually do it for real and then it actually hurts. Yeah. What I'm trying to get at here is with you understanding how things work now, my understanding of how you understand jiu-jitsu is that it's more of a mental thing than mm. a, a physical thing. Is that correct? It's like, yes. It's well, for me, game in your mind or yes, yes. That, that's what attracts me most about it is the technical aspect of it, right? There's so much strategy and tactics and all of these techniques that you use. I mean, it's different when you're training. It's different when you're competing. Um, Yeah. So for me, it is that mental thing. It's like you're problem solving all the time. Um, That's why during the pandemic, I started playing chess and I enjoyed that too, because of the actually right before I I started on this podcast with you, I was playing chess. (laughs) You know, it's just, it's the mental thing. And you see the the similarities with chess and jujitsu too. And Mm -hmm. like chess, if you play, you're like creating dilemmas also. Like, right. for example, if I have an arm bar or I'm extending your arm, let's just say, right? right. Um, let me explain this in a way where non-jujitsu guys will, will understand. Like, there is a possibility, let's say, for me to sweep you. And if you protect the sweep, then I'll get your arm. So right. you, I'm, I'm letting you pick between the two. What do you want? Right. It's either you I'm give me the arm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah. In jujitsu, it's like you're constantly trying to put this guy in positions where he's picking which one. Either way, I'm going to catch you with something. And that's why it becomes fluid when you watch some of the best guys in the world is because they're setting up what they want to hit. It's not just, oh, I I want to get your arm. I'm just going to get it and try to hang on to it and just try to force it. No, that's not going to work against a guy who's maybe bigger than you. So for me, it's it's constantly studying like the setups and, and ways to bait opponents and make things more efficient. Uh, that's a constant study. Like uh, I teach class like six days a week and I'm right. constantly trying to figure out like ways to make it easier for my students to right. get to where I'm at by teaching them all of these little things. Right. And it's constantly keeping me, I guess, um, preoccupied. Right. Because jujitsu, there's so many things you can do. And that's what makes it so fun. Yeah. Right. 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 So because I understand how you approach things now for as a teacher and as a uh, practitioner of BJJ. You've been doing it for so long. But as a, a teacher to the youth, because people's temperaments are different. Does it yeah. also make it difficult for you to 
partake the, to impart this knowledge onto people mm. who have different difficulties. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, delving into teaching, uh, just like you know, teaching radio. Like, right. you, if you remember back in the junior jock days, everybody had a different personality, yes. right? And it's and instead of trying to make everybody the same. It's like you're trying to also understand where each one is coming from and try to see how you can utilize their strengths um, to help with their jujitsu right. and try to expose them in positions that'll help them realize their weaknesses so that they can try to figure out how they can correct them themselves. It's, it's the change comes from them, right? I mean, you, I can constantly tell somebody like, you're doing this technique wrong or you're doing right. something. I have to find a way to um to let them realize it on their own like right. i have let's say a student he's he's really good and he's almost ready for his blue belt but he's right. afraid to compete not that he's afraid really it's more of he has a bad association with competing because of mm -hmm. him growing up he always made it like all about winning right. so my goal now is as an instructor is not to force him to compete but find ways for him and, and try to study his personality on how I can make him realize the benefits of competing and right. through that um, improve also, uh, I mean, mentally, not just in terms right. of his technique, but that that's, that's what being an instructor or being right. a coach is like. You have to understand each individual. That's why when I have a new student, I ask them, like, why do you want to do jujitsu? Like, what are some right. of your fears so that I can understand how to teach them? And it's a, it's a hard thing to do. I think there right. are instructors and then there are coaches, instructors. Right. I can teach you how to do something and just say like, oh, step one, put your leg here, right. step two. Put. But if you really want to be a coach, like you really have to understand who your student is, you know, and that takes some time. And that's why I feel like sticking with an instructor for a while helps because you have somebody that knows you, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Understands how you work. So, um, yeah, I mean, we can delve into the teaching so much. I mean, I, I learn something every day with, mm. with, when it comes to that stuff. And it's, it is fascinating. Yeah, no, because I'm really just fascinated by uh, this conversation honestly started with me being curious about the world's mixed martial arts. But I'm discovering that it's affected, it's affected your life so deeply. The mm -hmm. teaching more, it's coming out. And when you yeah. talk about it, it's it's so different. It's so passionate. So I was really just curious about that fact. But because mm -hmm. I started off with the frame of thought in the world of uh, mixed martial arts, that's where most people know Brazilian jiu-jitsu from. Right? Mm -hmm. When, they, when mm -hmm. they say BJJ, that's they immediately think of the UFC. Right? Yeah. That's the first thing that comes to mind. So why do you think something like BJJ became uh, so intertwined with the world of mixed martial arts, what was the what was the one thing that made it special in that regard? Well, back in the day, right before mixed martial arts, it was all about like, oh, you either do karate, you do jujitsu, right. you do muay thai. It was all separate, right? And everybody always wondered which is the best martial art. Right. And back in the day, the Gracies, what they would do is they would do challenge matches. They would challenge all types of martial arts. It'd be like, oh, come to the dojo or whatever it is, and they right. prove time and time again that they were the better martial art, right? They would take the people down and they didn't know what to do on the ground. Right. And that's what they realized, right? And that's why they started using events such as the UFC 
to promote their martial art. Now, if right. you think about the UFC and the history of the UFC, it was actually the Gracies that put that event up, yeah. right? Before Dana White and all of them took over, yeah. it was Hori and Gracie that put this together. And it was his way to advertise jujitsu. Let's put all of these guys together. They believe in their martial arts so much that they had Hoist Gracie, who was, you know, uh, smaller than some of the competitors right. that he faced. And they proved that, yes, jujitsu is more effective. And then right. after a while, they realized that, no, it's not just jujitsu. What if you had jujitsu and striking as well? What if you had good wrestling as well? And then these guys with, you know, who, was, who were very good at a lot of different mar martial arts, they started proving that, yes, it's all about MMA now. It's not just one style. Right. But, yeah, and so that's why it's so connected to right. mixed martial arts because they use it as a platform to advertise it to the rest of the world. I mean, imagine back then, no rules, no holds barred, right? Like they would go yeah. in there, you would see groin shots, you would see yeah. like yeah. The, the weirdest things. It was Your having headshots done. Yeah, yeah. And you would see Hoist Gracie. I think he was against, um, I forget his name right now, but the guy had a ponytail and he was grabbing on the guy's right. uh, ponytail to keep his posture down. I mean, it right. was, was kind of crazy. If you saw yeah. it back then, you would be like, Holy crap, this is scary. And yeah. for you as a martial artist, if you sign a contract and go, yeah, yeah I'm going to go in there and just fight open weight. Yeah. And I don't know anything about this guy. And I'm going to go in there and it could be a submission. It can do whatever. Yeah. And it's new. Somebody could die. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you don't know who's That's watching you, this stuff, right? Cage. Yeah, there's that. But you're in the yeah, cage. Yeah, you're locked in there. <laughs> so it, back then, if like right now, it's normal for people. They've right. seen MMA. But back then, dude, that was, that'd be so scary. Like for yeah. them to have the balls to go out there and be like, I don't care. Yeah. Whoever right. it is, I'm going to take them out. And so right. that's, that's why it's so popular. Right. Right. It's very badass. You know, that a lot of people have this misconception of MMA as just what it is right now. But they, a lot of them don't know how it started about with these full out brawls wherein sometimes you'd get like a sumo wrestler versus yeah. like a boxer yeah. a literal yeah. street fighter come to life so it's very yeah. chaotic right yeah. but in, in that regard what you do also kind of develops this um, reputation of being violent right? and people mm. might have apprehensions towards right. it so if, mm -hmm. for you especially since you teach young kids about right? how do hmm. you uh how are you able to break down those misconceptions about what you do like how are you hmm. able to placate parents who are worried that their kids might get hurt how are you right right to, right i think it helps now that it's becoming more popular right like um you know parents that usually put their kids into jujitsu they know a little bit about jujitsu but um it's all about how you teach the kids and make them respect what a submission is. You're not going to go in there and just be like, armbar that kid. Like, you know what I mean? It's like you make them understand that, Hey, this stuff can hurt somebody else. Right. And um, if you are getting hurt at any point, whether it be submission or not tap out. And that's what right. makes it a sport where you can spar all the time because mm -hmm. of your ability to tap out. Right. And obviously there are going to be, some what we call spazzy, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> people that are just way too excited. And as a coach, it's your job to be able to calm them down or to make sure that they don't hurt anybody. But, you know, when I teach kids, I don't teach them submissions right away. It's more mm. of just 
positional control and learning how to get out of bad positions. I think mm -hmm. if you put a kid and you let somebody else mount them, it's such a helpless feeling. But then once you teach them how to get out and then they feel it themselves, they're like, whoa, I didn't know I could do that. And then the kids now start getting hooked. But it's different when you teach adults and kids. With kids, it's more of how can I make it into a game, right? right? So that they don't, they don't feel like, oh, they're back in like a school environment where you're trying to teach me something. No, it's like we're doing movements with them. They don't even know that they're mm -hmm. learning, right? And it's fun for them. They associate fun with, with jujitsu. And so like, like for, the kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like for me, uh, when I teach kids, right, I always right. make it into a game where I go, okay, this is level one. And then I'll play like I'm just a level one guy, right? right? And then I'll go, are you ready for level two? And they're going to be like, oh, no. And then I go all the way to level three. And for them to be able to like overcome all those levels, then it's like, hey, I beat level three against a black belt, blah, blah. And so they're now happy, right? So, but what I do is, for example, I teach them how to control mounts, right? Right. So they're on top and I'll go, this is just level one. Level one doesn't know any jujitsu. He's just going to push you around. And right. so that's all I do. And so I try to see if they can apply the lesson of the day. And right. so I'm not going to go open sparring where anything can happen. Yeah. No, I'm going to put you in the position that we're learning of the day. So you okay. make it specific. And then level two is, oh, I know a little jujitsu and I'll, you know, and that's how we build it. And the next mm. thing you know, you, you, the next class, you, uh, teach them a technique kind of connected to the previous class. And once you connect all of these different positions, all of a sudden they're like, oh, they're free sparring now. They're open sparring. They can, they know all of those individual uh, nice. positions. And it's kind of yeah. like radio, bro. It's like in the mm. beginning, oh, we're just learning the console. You're just learning how to play songs. And now you're learning how to play ads. And then mm. all of a sudden you're connecting it to the ad lib. And then the next mm. thing you know, you're like, wait a minute, I can do my whole show now. Yeah. On my own. So it, it's it's the same thing with jujitsu. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like uh, jujitsu helped me kind of break down all the other right. things that I teach because yeah. yeah, it works, man. And and I think the number one thing also with teaching is you can't let the students feel like they're failing. Right. That's super crucial for any teacher out there or aspiring teacher. There are ways to correct mistakes without making them feel like they failed. Because right. if you fail at something that you're trying for the first time, you automatically think in your head, oh, this is not for me, or I suck right. at this. And once you associate that with that, with that feeling, you're not going to want to try, right? right? So for example, in jujitsu, a big thing that I tell my co-instructors is don't say no. Like, mm. no, that's wrong. No, no. Like move their hand. You know what I mean? It's like, don't put your hand there. Put it to the mm. left. No, to the right. No, like. They get confused and they're like, oh, this is not for me. So instead of doing that, just go get their hand, put it in the right place and be like, oh, there, that's better. They didn't mm -hmm. make a mistake. You know what I mean? So that type right. of teaching uh, encourages them to want to train more. And that's what you right. want. Yeah. Right, right. Good. Uh, very Does this well make said, sense, bro? Like, no, I can, go, no, I can go on with this shit. <laughs> no, 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 no. It makes total sense. Because you know, we were talking about you as a teacher, first of all. I didn't even consider that you also teach adults, right? For yeah. fully grown adults who want to learn jiu-jitsu for the first time. So mm -hmm. how is that approach like? Like, how is it because they it's want kind to- of, It's kind of go. the same, actually. But I don't go, here comes level one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I give them the same thing. Yeah. Like, uh, 
I think the number one thing that makes jujitsu hard to learn is most people just focus on what you're supposed to do. Like, for example, if you're learning the armbar, you're just thinking about how to do the armbar instead of learning how to be a good training partner for somebody learning the armbar. So, for example, me as a coach, um, I have to control my intensity according to the level of the person trying to apply the move, right? Or trying to, yeah, execute the move. So for example, you, Chino, let's say you're doing an arm bar on me and I know it's your first class. If I'm out there like yakking my arm out and trying to escape 100%, you're going to not believe in this arm bar, right? It's like playing basketball for the first time and I teach you how to dribble a ball and I'm swatting it away right away. And I'll be like, oh, what's up? Like, this is how it is in real basketball. No, you let them dribble the ball a little bit and you act like, okay, what if I try to do this? And then you switch to the other side. And it's the same thing um, with adults. It's the same. You don't want them to feel um, like they suck at something. But number mm. number two, I think, is for adults is they don't want to feel um, like they don't want to get humiliated mm. or embarrassed. Right. Like that that uh, fear of judgment. Mm-hmm. Remember this in radio. I talked about this fear of judgment, fear yeah. of failure. Right. Yeah. All of these things. Right. Fear of criticism. For adults, it's the same thing in jujitsu. When you're trying out something like that where somebody can kick your ass, even more so, right? Um, so you have to be able to design the, the environment of your class where people are helping each other, not trying to beat each other up. And that's right. the main thing I teach in my class. So when a new guy comes into my class, all the other students are helping them out. You know what I mean? So now it doesn't become this thing where it's like, oh, you're a new guy. I'm going to whoop your ass. I'm going to show you how it is. Then nobody comes back. Right. Exactly. So it's, yeah. The Cobra Kai mentality doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. So like you got to make it conducive for learning the environment. Right. right. That's super important. Yeah. Right. So now that we are on the topic of of progression and how to increase difficulty, I want to talk about you and and your black Mm. belt because that's not something that happens overnight. That takes yeah. years and years of hard work. So can you tell uh, our listeners right now, and myself, of course, what it took to get to that level of, of black beltness? Um, so here in the Philippines, it's it's a little bit, I guess, for, for a lot of countries that are that are just starting out in jiu-jitsu where you don't have a lot of, um, back in my time, there was not a lot of YouTube videos, not a lot of in- instructionals as compared right. to nowadays. And so what it, what it really took me was just that persistence and that, and, and the curiosity, keeping that alive. Right. And, and trying to even learn on my own, even in times where my instructors were not there. And I think that's where I really figured out what worked for me because there were times where my instructors were either injured or they left the country. And then I had to teach classes of blue belt. And then I was like, Oh, how am I going to learn? And I just figured it out on my own and and it takes longer in that way because you don't have a guy spoon feeding your jujitsu but in the long run actually it helped me out because the guy who awarded me my black belt uh his name's nick gregoriades he's uh if you've ever heard of hodger gracie he's one of the most famous jujitsu um athletes of all time yeah he's the first black belt under hodger uh Mm. so the guy that gave me my black belt is the first uh black belt under hodger and he would tell me that don't do spoon fed jujitsu because a big part of jujitsu is learning to develop that problem solving ability. 
right? And so me trying to learn it the hard way and breaking things down on my own, training on my own and stuff like that helped me later on as a, as a coach, as a person being able to study anything jujitsu wise is because I went through that tough way. Nobody was like telling me exactly what to do. So that was kind of like my path, you know, um, it, it was tough in that end. That's why it, I guess it took me longer. Right. And, um, yeah, it took me 16 years, man, to get right. my black wow. belt. That's, wow. okay. that's a long time. I think yeah. I was supposed to, well, I was supposed to be awarded earlier, like the okay. time when, um, so the instructor was supposed to fly in, but then Mount, uh, was that the Taal volcano okay. erupted, right? And he was supposed, yeah, he was supposed to fly in and right. it was supposed to be kind of like my black belt ceremony. Right. And it was the same week as my birthday. And I was like, this is the best like <laughs> week ever, right? We're all like excited for it. And, and then the friends. pandemic happened. <laughs> yeah. So it's like the aisle and then pandemic. And I was just like, this is bullshit. But mm. yeah, so either way though, I think um, getting it now um, is, is cool too. Mm. And and it's just, it took, it takes a long time, man. There, there are right. people that have been training the same time as me who are still in the same path. Uh, some of them haven't gotten their black belts. It's just because we don't have a bunch of black belts here yet, just awarding these things. Sometimes we have to wait also for an instructor to fly in to be able to award us uh, a black belt. So, yeah, I mean, 16 years, freaking long time now that I think about it, huh? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm glad you thought of this uh, while I had you on as a guest, right? So now, what it takes to be a jiu-jitsu practitioner. But as we yeah. wind down uh, this episode, now that you've accomplished so much in your career as an instructor, as a jiu-jitsu practitioner, is there anything yeah. else you want to do in that field or anything in general? Say, um, say you look at life through that lens. So what yeah. other things left on your plate that you want to take off? Well, I just want to be right now, like, I just want to be the best, like, coach I can be. Like, right. that's my constant thing. I'm all, that's the natural, like, thing for me to study. Like, you know how when you want to learn something, it doesn't feel like homework. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you just, you can stay up all night learning it. And that's for me. Is the same thing. I'm studying the best coaches, not just in mixed martial arts or jujitsu, but like in tennis, in basketball. What are they doing? How are they training their athletes? Like it's a constant thing. And I think I still have a lot to learn um, in that field. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, and, and applying that type of enthusiasm to everything else that I do, you know, um, we were supposed to actually live in Shargao this year. We were supposed right. to move there in January. We we're going to set up our, our Indonesian restaurant called uh, mm -hmm. Tili Sate. So, yeah. So that's another thing that I would like to do. Um, another thing that um, I feel like I've been wanting to do since I left radio. I was supposed to set up the restaurant back then, but all these things would always come in the way and I got into jujitsu. Right. So, yeah, those are a couple of things that I would like to do. Set that up. And, and just continue to grow my team, continue to teach and, and just learn how to be a better coach. You know, that's, that's kind of like the goal right now for me. All right. Well, thanks Pat for answering all my questions this past <laughs> half hour. So I'm gonna, Appreciate I, it. I, 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 think <laughs> I feel like I know you better now uh, as <laughs> coach Pat, as, as DJ Pat, because if, of yeah. all the things we talked about during this time. So 
now that people have spent this time listening to us talk to you about um, how you teach jujitsu, it's now actually your time to invite them. Maybe somebody out there wants to learn jujitsu. Yeah. Where can they find you? Well, um, so I'm the I'm the head coach at a team called Origins Jujitsu. So you can look at uh, look us up on Instagram. It's Origins BJJ. Um, also on Facebook, you can look up Origins BJJ. My personal like uh, jujitsu page is BJJ Simplified. So I teach like techniques on there. I also have a YouTube channel which is at BJJ Simplified. Um, I just like reached a thousand subscribers like the wow, other week. So I'm slowly, I'm slowly growing congrats. it. Um, so do like subscribe, <laughs> yes. you know, so I'm kind of doing that. And then, uh, Pili Sate is the, the Indonesian restaurant that we have. So if you want to try our chicken sate, rendang, nasi goreng, uh, our, our own sambal, uh, you can look for us on Instagram at best sate ever. <laughs> which is which was uh, coined by my wife Chrissy. So you can look us up. It's T I L I S, and then Sate is S A T E. And then uh, what else do I have going on? I think that's pretty much it. Oh, and uh, we have an Echo House in Shargao. So if you're ever there, and if you want to rent a, a nice space, um, we have five rooms. It's going to be open soon once we finish our renovations. It's uh, Diwa Shargao. All right. So, yeah, dude, check, look us up. Yeah, uh, check out uh, Pat and all those many endeavors that he has. Thanks again, Pat. I appreciate it, brother. for this week's episode of the Class Clown Podcast. Again, a very special thank you to Pat Hamlang for doing all the BJJ talk with me. Please do check out Tilly Sate at Best Sate Ever on Instagram. They really do have the best Sate ever. I know this from experience. Also, check out Diwa in Shargao. Also, check out Origins BJJ, of course. And check out BJJ Simplified on YouTube. And while you're at it, check out my YouTube page as well. That's youtube.com slash Chino Liao. That's it. That's all you need to check out from both of us. Right? Got it? Good. Until next time where we talk to more people about more of the things that they love to do only here on the Class Clown Podcast. My name is Chida Liao. Goodbye. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.